at home, just enjoy this. Close your eyes at home for a moment. It's so distracting there, I know. So you sit on your couch or drinking your coffee, just take a moment to think about these great words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus this morning. That's the challenge we have in front of us this morning, to turn our eyes on Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather and worship here at the BMI, that we can gather virtually online, that nothing stops the kingdom of God, no matter what circumstances arise, nothing can contain you. You remain bigger and far better than anything we could ask or imagine. So we thank you for your presence with us this morning, and we pray that you will grow us up in your spirit through our time together this morning, and we pray all of this. In Jesus' name, and all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, just let's, can we just hear it for our worship team and the time they put into this? this as you'll find out as we go through this message this morning, they have already preached through song what the Word is going to bring us this morning. And so as much as possible, remember what you've sung this morning already, King of Glory, turn your eyes upon Jesus and then uh, the, the final song called Others that uh, we'll come to um, after this message. But I hope you, hope you enjoy the way this comes together. They spend so much effort and time and prayer to, to put together the right music for the message. John, anybody investigating Christianity for the first time, and more specifically the person of Jesus Christ, has to be struck by the extraordinary attention Christians pay to his death. I mean, with all other spiritual leaders in world history, their death is mourned because it ended their career. Are you with me? What matters, of course, is their life and teaching. But with Jesus, it is, it's the other way around. I mean, his life and teaching are unmatched, but his followers have always pointed to his death more than his life. The gospel writers devote an astonishing amount of space to his death. And the Apostle Paul himself writes in Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthians, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. And Jesus himself referred to his approaching death often. And he referred to it, Corey, as the hour for which he'd come into the world. So it makes sense in this series that followers of Christ will pay special attention to his teaching in the hours that precede the hour that he'd come into the world for. Now listen, Rashima, some people can talk for hours about absolutely nothing. I probably am one of those. And that's okay. And listen, I have no doubt that Jesus knew the art of small talk. You may not have ever thought about that. I think he knew the art of joke telling. And in the hours walking and camping out with his disciples over the years, I would love to have more um, access to those conversations. We don't know them. But I think there was lots of small talk and lots of laughter around the campfire. That's just something I project onto Jesus. That's a Bob thing. But sometimes, Corey, there's a deadline. And Jesus has only hours left before he will be accused tried, tortured, and crucified, and he, in these hours in the upper room, is seriously focused. These are his final words for his friends. You could call these chapters, John 13 to 17, the gospel according to Jesus. 
Kathy, but all of it has to do with our series title, The Beloved Community. And I always want you in these next 11 weeks now to keep that title in mind, The Beloved Community. And so as with every message in this series, and I want you to think about this with the song we just sang, I want you to imagine this morning that you are in the upper room with Jesus. At your home right now, you are in that upper room, reclined around the table with Jesus talking to you. Can you imagine that? Close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes and just put yourself in that upper room. Let yourself imagine what that might have looked like. And Jesus stands and is talking. And I want you to imagine that for the next 11 weeks as you read these chapters and as you hear about them. Turn your eye. Okay, open your eyes at home. Open your eyes. And now turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. We're in the upper room with him. After Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples, and Corey preached that wonderful opening message last week. Go back and check that out if you haven't heard it. After Judas leaves the room to arrange his betrayal, Jesus begins teaching something that I want to title this morning, The Different Way to the Beloved Community. The Different Way. And The Different Way, Corey, is made up of three ingredients in this text. We actually are going to be, we've already sung about two of them. We'll sing about a third. So in this text, the different way is made up of three ingredients. One is the secret way, one is the way of grace, and the other is something that we'll just talk about is the brand new way. All of it coming together to form the different way. So let's begin with verses 31 to 33 to uncover the secret. And if you're here uh, in um, uh, the BMI, open your phones to have your text out. Uh, you'll see it at home on your screen. But let's begin with verses 31 to 33. And let's un uncover the secret way. And here it is. It's about glory. We sang about it with the king of glory. Glory is the secret way to beloved community. Let me read verses 31 to 33. When, when he, which is Judas, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now we know from the scriptures that the whole universe exists for the glory of God. And here we have a rather mysterious formula. A lot of glory glorifies in that very first verse. Here we have this mysterious formula about the glory of God in the heavens. And Grace City, I want you to understand that this is the tipping point of, of our Lord's life here on earth. Judas has just left the fellowship, and it's important that Jesus waits until the traitor is gone to show his disciples the different way, the secret way here of glory, and he introduces it with these words about glorification. First, it's in the present tense. Did you see it? Now, 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 right as Judas leaves, now, somebody say now, now the Son of Man is glorified, and the Father, too, is glorified. And he means that God's purpose is, adva is advanced at this very moment. And then Jesus says, future tense, check it out, the Father will glorify himself in his Son, and watch this, and he will do it immediately. He will do it immediately, which clearly is a reference to the cross coming the very next day. Church, Jesus is unveiling the secret principle that pertains to glory, and here's what I mean. Look at yourself for a moment. Glory is something we all long for. Now, you may say, not me, because it sounds bad, right? Not me, but I'm not talking about glory of, of the selfish ambition kind of glory. 
There is a kind of glory in human life that we ascribe to God that belongs to God. We could call it good glory that is about the honor that is won by noble achievement. It's about magnificence. It's about great beauty. It's about great sacrifice on behalf of others. This is the kind of glory that you would be proud of and would want written on your tombstone. Amen? This is the kind that we have in view here, heavenly glory. And just as glory belongs to God for the right reasons, we want all people to think of us for the right reasons, think highly of us. And the divine secret of heavenly glory now begins here because Jesus is looking ahead to the cross. Now let me ask again something that I brought up in the beginning. Why all this emphasis, Kelly, on his death? Why are we so focused on his death? Why, as the son of the most high God, did he have to die? This is an important question, because at the root of our being, we really don't like the cross. We really don't like, as humans, that this piece had to happen. And many people give an easy answer. He died because he was such a radical revolutionary that he angered his contemporaries, and so he was arrested, tried, condemned, and crucified. And Corey, I've heard this argument for years, and as a matter of fact, it's quite true, but only as far as it goes. This martyr theory about Jesus' death only goes so far. He, he was, in part, a victim of the pride and prejudice of human beings. But the explanation by itself completely misses the mark. Why? As a matter of fact, by itself, it becomes an untruth if you just leave it alone. Because it ignores the fact that the scripture makes it clear that Jesus went to the cross of his own free will. Have you ever noted this? Grace City, Jesus Christ was no martyr. He was not, as a matter of fact, in John 10, 18, take a look at it on your screen. He said this in John 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus didn't die as a martyr, church. He died deliberately. As a matter of fact, you could say, James, that he was directing his own death. He was in command throughout the events of the cross. In command. And this unlocks for us the secret of glory. It is not and never has been found in the struggle for power and first place and prestige. As a matter of heavenly fact, glory is not in you at all. It's not in Bob at all. It's accessible, but only through Christ. It's not found in selfishness, Kelly, and it's not found in selflessness. It's not found anywhere in between those things. And by that, I, I just want to, we, can, we get it about selfishness. Of course, there's no glory there. We think being selfless brings glory. But, but not having a self at all is not a particularly attractive place to be as a, as a creation of God. Jesus certainly had a self. Glory lies in the surrender of self to God. It's a whole different dimension. It's a whole different way of walking through this life. Matthew 16, uh, Jesus said it this way, for whoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So glory, Corey, it's confusing. It's hard to know how to practice, but look to the end of this chapter. Like you and me, Peter is baffled by it all. Peter uh, is, is confused, and I'm going to skip verses 34 and 35 because Peter skips it. 
Peter has just heard Jesus teach it, but Peter, as often, Kathy, he's kind of in his own world of response. So we're going to skip it. We're going to come back to verse 34 and 35 at the end. Um, but God here with Peter in this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, he gives the grace we need to understand the glory we desire. And here it is. So that my second point is about grace, which is the godly way to the, to the beloved kingdom. Verses 36 to 38. Look at, look at these verses for a minute. It reads like this. Simon Peter, ignoring verses 34 and 35, he's just heard what you've heard. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you before the rooster crows. Jesus says, you'll disown me three times. Now, like a child in school, here we have it. Peter immediately shoots up his hand and says, Lord, where are you going? And I'm always amazed at the grace of Jesus when it comes to Peter and all of us. Thank God for his grace, right? Because if it were me, if I'd been there, I'd have said, Peter, when are you going to get it? I've told you over a dozen times where I'm going. I'm going to a cross. I'm going to a tomb. I'm going home to the Father. Peter had heard it many times times, but he never got it. And I understand this. I'm pretty thick-headed too. But notice this. Jesus doesn't scold him. And, and I think he knew what Peter meant was not so much, where are you going, but why can't I go with you? I remember when my children, when they were very young, would ask me that when I was headed out the door in the morning. I'm sure you might have had this experience. Jesus answers, why can't, why can't I go, Daddy? Why can't I go with you? And Jesus answers with a mystery. He says, you cannot follow me now, Peter, but you will follow me later. And indeed, as some of you might know, 30 years or so went by before Peter, who was then an old man imprisoned in Rome, was let out, condemned, and crucified like his Lord. And thus our Lord's words were literally fulfilled, not now, Peter, but you will follow me later. But there's a, a, another thing going on here. There's another reason why Peter cannot follow him now. And this is probably more germane for you and me. His love, Peter's love, remains at this point wrongly conceived. He will deny, he will deny Jesus three times tomorrow, the Friday of the cross. And so often, Grace City, so often our love is also wrongly conceived conceived, and we don't even know it. Stay with me here, because Jesus isn't scolding. Jesus is pushing us to grow. Peter was perfectly sincere when he said these words, I'll follow you anywhere, I'll lay my life down. He was thoroughly committed to Christ, just as many of you are. He felt right down to his toes that he would lay down his life for the Lord, and Jesus, Jesus knows Peter means it, but he also knows that Peter's is a, a totally unreliable commitment. He knows that it comes from purely ordinary affection. Now, stay with me here. Ordinary affection, church, is never strong enough to handle the demands that will come against the divine call of love on this side of heaven. Our ordinary love was never strong enough to meet the demands of heaven on this side of heaven. Now, that's not bad news. That's really good news. But we got we to figure out how do we grow toward this because we have to learn this. Peter's affection was kind of like yours and my affection on its, on its own. It's the kind of affection he would have had for anyone close to him. Before he met Jesus, 
He loved his family and friends, just like most of us do. Under certain circumstances, he would also lay down his life for them, just as many of us would. Ordinary, deep affection can do this, right? But here with Peter, and often, all too often with us, it was not yet love born of the Spirit. Stay with me. Church, here is a singular reason why followers of Christ, like you and I, often miss the divine and unique quality of love that Jesus is talking about when he commands later on, um, love one another, which we'll come to in verse 34. We feel too often that our natural affection, our ordinary affection, is fulfilling that demand. That if we love those who are dear to us and near to us, family, friends, the church body, our colleagues, if we're just doing that, we're fulfilling his demand, his command. But we're not. We're not there yet. It, it's great. It's good. I'm not, it's, we're not to minimize it, but it's not what Jesus is calling us to here. It's not the different way to beloved community because we're still choosing who we'll love. We're still choosing. And listen, ordinary affection, it's wonderful, but it cannot meet God's call to build the beloved community here on earth. That is so much harder. Now, there is, however, great hope in this conversation. Keep your eye on it, because as he did with Peter, by his grace, somebody said grace, our Lord is quite willing to teach us and to grow us up into what divine agape love looks like. This is the word in Greek. Many of you know it. I'm not going to belabor it, but agape is the kind of love we're talking about here. Very different than, we don't even have words for love like that, but it's here. Like Peter, we have to know a hard truth. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this either, but to grow in this kind of love, Corey, and I know this about my brother Corey and his life and how he's lived and where he's lived and what he's been up to and what he's up to now, this kind of love is always a process of pain and hurt and rejection and failure. It grows on you. I don't know any Christ follower, Corey, who, who has ever been used of God who, who hasn't had to go through that kind of process. Because Grace City, like Peter, our enthusiasm alone for Christ will not accomplish what he wants done. Because it's enthusiasm generated from us. We have to learn through pain and failure and hurt and rejection to glory in his love and not our love for him. It's a reverse. Then our own hearts will begin to practice Christ's same kind of love. So Peter's troubles are yet ahead, all the way to his own cross, 30 years from now, of this moment. And as he journeys through many trials in, in the spirit, you see it in the book of Acts, he learns the lessons of heavenly glory. He establishes the church against his own nature. But in this moment, Peter is doing something that we do. He's ignoring something critical from the Lord. He's completely bypassed it. Here it is in verse 34. Take a look on your screen. Verse 34 a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Grace City at home and here I want to just, again, imagine yourself in the upper room and you have heard these lines and you're not going to ignore it this time. You're going to turn your eyes upon Jesus now and listen as he teaches the way, the brand new way to the beloved community. And I guarantee you it's new, but you may not think so at this point. I'm going to call it love, the new way, Look at verse 34 with me that we just read. And I, I, I want to tell you this. At first glance, we turn to this teaching on the night of, 
he's, Jesus is betrayed, and it actually sounds a bit futile, doesn't it? A new command I give you, love one another. That's it? Really? I remember growing up, and I grew up in the 60s, <laughs> unlike maybe more than, there may be one other in this room, <laughs> looking in the back there, Mary Lou. But I grew up in the 60s, and I, I'd see slogans and bumper stickers all the time. It was a great time. It was the hippie time. It was the Jesus freak time. I had hair down to here. I had hair. And I was in bands, and it was great. And I, and I had met Jesus at 14. Anyway, I'd see these slogans, make love, not war. Thought, that was awesome. <laughs> Ban the bomb. We need that one to come back. And even a fave I had, you didn't see it often, but abolish hate. I thought, could we do that? That's something we need today. And they're all perf perfectly proper goals, great bumper stickers, but in the end, they're a bit mindless. I remember uh, uh, I was running Young Life later on in the 70s uh, in one of my first areas, and I had an intern come who was going to uh, learn the, the ropes of being a staff person with Young Life, young kid, Came right out of college, Corey showed up with his car, pulled up to my house, and on the back of his car, he has two bumper stickers. One says, surf naked, and the, and the other says, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and I, I walked out, I you know, greeted him, said, welcome, this is going to be great. Looked at his car, I said, and you need to lose one of those bumper stickers. And he said, you mean surf naked? I said, I don't really care, but lose one of them. See, all these slogans are great, Mark, but they're perhaps ineffective. So these simple words, love one another, from Jesus, at first glance, sound a bit like a first century bumper sticker. Imagine all the donkeys and camels in Israel with a sign on their rear saying, love one another. People go, yeah, sign me up. The whole world might agree that this is what we need to do, but no one has yet been able to carry it out except Christ. And this command on its own isn't new, right? I mean, John, Jesus' teaching on love it wasn't new here. It's, it's at the very center of the gospel. It stands on the teaching of Moses. In Matthew 22, Jesus told a lawyer that the greatest law is to love God and love your neighbor and love yourself. And he was quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And this, is a, this command to love God, neighbor, self, it wasn't new then or now. So what is new here? Ask yourself, what is new? Check it out. Read verses 34 again. What's new? Here it is. Here it is. In these words, as I have loved you. That's what's new. Somebody say glory. What the original literally says is as or even since. It can be translated either way, this preposition. Since I have loved you in order that you might love one another. This is the literal. Since I have loved you in order that you might love one another. One is the cause, the other is the effect. Cause and effect. Here our Lord is saying that his love will supersede our ordinary love that all of us carry and stimulate and awaken within us the divine only capacity to love the unlovable, to love the enemy, to love those who nobody loves, to love the way Jesus loved us. Do you remember how he loved us when he went to the cross? While you were yet sinners, while we were his enemies. Love like that. Wow. Listen, we all know how difficult it is to love unlovely people, miserable people, the neighbor with the constantly barking dog, the person with a nasty cough who refuses to wear a mask, the liar who took you in over and over just last week, and, and far worse than those things. We all, we all know what that is. 
So by what magic, Cholu, are we supposed to feel anything towards these people but distrust and resentment and feel justified in having nothing to do with them? And here's where the magic lies. It lies in Jesus. As we learn to love like him, his love for us will be the measurable cause and the identifying effect of any authentic agape love that we bring to Baltimore or to the world or to our neighbors. That will be the cause and effect. Like it was with Peter as he grew up in Christ. The next day he denied him. Months later he's establishing the church. What happened? What happened was Jesus. We become Jesus with skin on. You've heard this phrase, Jesus with skin on. That means that we, we it's, let, me, let me give you another image for it. It's, it's kind of, do you know this fact? I think I'm right about this. Check me out if you're a physicist or whoever this field is. But if a piece of ordinary steel is attached to a magnet and left there long enough, after a while the magnetism of the magnet passes into the steel so that it too becomes a magnet. Jesus will give a similar illustration with the vine in John 15 coming up in just a few weeks. I'm the vine, you're the branches. This is what our Lord is teaching here. It is those followers of Christ who learned to glory in his love for them while they were yet enemies. Those who reckon on that fact, enjoy that fact, rejoice in it, feel the warmth of it, remind themselves of it. And those who remember the fact that they were his enemies when he died for them. Do you remember that, Grace City? Do you remember that? Do you glory in that? Do you remember that you don't deserve his love? Do you remember that? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But I have it. And I can practice it on others because of it. Those are the ones who become magnetized with his love. And of course, it's not a call to die in real time. It wasn't quite that time for Peter because that would be our final act, right? We don't that would, that would be the end. But when he says, you can't follow me yet, what is he saying to Peter? He's saying, now, for now, until your time comes, now learn to love like me while you live. Love like me as I've loved you while you live. And we know what it looks like. It's not, that's not where the mystery is. We know what this looks like because like the disciples had at that point, three years with Jesus, you and I have the gospel accounts of Jesus. We, we, we know what his love looks like. First of all, it's a love that loves the, un, the unlovely, the marginalized. It's a love that loves the hemorrhaging woman that no one else would, would want to be near. It's a love that loved the soldiers of Rome that nobody else would want to be near. It's a love that embraced the demoniac. He said, y'all quit panicking, bring him to me, I got this. It's the love that looked at Jerusalem and said, and just wept over Jerusalem. Do you weep over Baltimore? When you stand on Federal Hill, can you weep like Jesus for, for Baltimore? It's a love that, of people who are rejected and difficult and looked down upon and held in contempt. It's, it's the criminal and the crazy. It's the banished and the bigot. It's the victim and the victimizer. Don't forget that. You and me. It's the love of you and me. We don't deserve it either. We all have a place in the beloved community. Secondly, and, and I'm just coming up with what comes to mind, but it's a love that has always been seen in deeds more than words, isn't it? Always more Jesus. Remember Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew as his life is coming to an end. He says, enter into the kingdom that's been prepared. Because when I was sick, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Deeds, Grace City, not words. It's more about that. And thirdly, it's, it's a love without end. This is how John introduced the chapter. Corey talked about it last week. Having loved his own, he loved them 
until the end. We don't give up. We don't stop. There's a bumper sticker about that somewhere. He never gave up on Peter. He never gave up on the disciples. He never gave up on soldiers. He never gave up on Pharisees. He never gave up on Corey. He never gave up on He never gave up on you. And he can teach you how to not give up. It's tempting to give up, isn't it? But listen, as the worship team comes up, let me close this way. Grace City, all three of these things, the secret way of glory, the way of grace, the new way of love, God, the, the way he loved us, this all adds up to a different way to build God's beloved community. You are to love as you have been loved. This is agape. If you want to know what agape means, just look to Jesus. Dr. King said it this way. Agape love, he said, makes no distinction between a friend and an enemy. I love that. That changes my heart. Agape love. Thank God. Somebody thank God that, that Jesus loved us without distinction. Somebody say glory. So, Grace City, love and be loved. Give and receive. Do justice and show mercy. But remember, it's not about me. It's about we. It's not just about your house. It's about your neighbor's house. It's about your neighborhood. And it's not just about us, the church. It's not just about us, the church. One another, love one another, is about all of us, all around. The beloved community, this is the uprising of God. And it remains potentially the most revolutionary movement in all of human history. Somebody say glory. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, Dr. King put it this way. We are bound together in an inescapable network of mutuality. Somebody say mutuality. I love that word. He said we are tied in a single garment of destiny. Ah. So we can be sure, Grace City, he would never, Jesus would never command us to do what is impossible for us to do. This is accessible in the heavenlies. And that's good news this morning. And I'll tell you this, the world, Corey, it may not always agree with us. There's haters. They may not always come and join us, although many of them will. But whoever it is responding to you loving like Jesus loved you, they will know one thing. People who love like this, they've been with Jesus. They know Jesus. And here it is in verse 35. I'm going to sing this in just a moment. Here it is in verse 35. I close with this. Jesus said it this way. By this kind of love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen? Let's stand up and worship. We'll sing this song and others. And take, take special note of these words at home and here.